0: Hey everyone, welcome back to um, Vanessa on Films. This is the podcast where we discuss film and TV news. I've been thinking to myself and I'm like, wait, why don't I just say entertainment news? And it's like, well, I guess I am talking about entertainment news in a way, but at the same time. I'm not like, I, I don't think I'm going to focus on the gospel of it all, but, uh, sometimes I will, maybe I will, but, um, yeah, I, I think I'm just like specifically focusing more on news about like casting and award shows and like, um, trailers and posters and stuff like that. So that's why I'm trying not to call it entertainment news, just because like, that's not necessarily something that like entertainment shows and like entertainment sites care about or like talk about. So yeah, um, yeah we'll just stick with film and TV news. Again, this intro probably changes, like, all the time. But, um, yeah, I'm gonna just get right into it, honestly. So, um, if it sounds like I just woke up, it's probably because I did. Um, yeah, so I might have to stop this every once in a while. You might hear a little bit of, like, weird editing of me, like, stopping it and, like, there's gonna be me drinking water and I have to, like, edit that out and obviously and, obviously, and stuff like that. So, um... Yeah, uh, let's get right into it. Let's start off with some box office news. It's really, I don't necessarily think it was surprising because a lot of, there were a lot of conversations regarding this film, and so the numbers didn't surprise me. Um, Yeah, so let's start out with Talk To Me. So this, of course, is the newest film from Danny and Michael Philippa. So uh, yeah, I, I actually think I spoke about it on my last episode. Um at least I think I did. Yeah. So it's basically about a group of friends. They find an embalmed tan, then they do a seance with it. And of course, shit, shit, shit gets weird, um, because that's not something you want to do with an embalmed tan. Um, and yeah, uh, so it was released over the past weekend. Um, and yeah, it, um, the past week, Yes. I'm getting all my dates mixed up, and that's just because, like, I have no sense of time. But anyways, it debuted with $10 million at the box office, the domestic one at least. So, this is just the North American box office. And what's interesting about this number is that it overperformed by like double um, the industry expectations or projections. So, I think it was projected to earn about like 4 to 5 million, but it actually earned 10. The production budget for the film was actually only 4.5 million, so it already made back its budget. With horror films, I feel I feel like most, if not all horror films, do well at the box office. Uh, people turn up for them. I think a lot of young people, specifically like teenagers and like yeah, like young adults, they really, really enjoy horror movies. Um, at least most of them do. And yeah, so they just, they just turn up and um, turn up, they show up to the theaters for them. And even though this is a smaller film, uh, it's produced by A um Yeah, it's still made quite a bit of money for I guess, like, the standards are, like, the compared to the projections and considering what its budget is and how uh, it has a small, like, I guess, like, marketing space, if that's what we can call it. Like, um, there's, I've seen some, the poster for it, I've seen some trailers for it, like, as I guess we could call them commercials, but yeah, considering, all things considered... Um, this did really well. It's actually the second biggest opening weekend for A24, um, right after Hereditary. So, I mean, if you're up there with an Ari Aster film, like, you know, you did something good. And um, besides the amount of money that I made, which is really great, it has really good, like, reviews on um, a bunch of different reviewing sites and people have really been praising it. So, yeah, um, it's in theaters now. I'm gonna try to like not necessarily say you should go watch something. I'll just announce, like, hey, I've saw this and it's in theaters. And then you can do with that information what you will. Um, but let's move on. Um, I. What I've noticed is that I tried in my. When I'm like reading from my notes, well, I'm not really reading from them, I'm just like following them. I try balancing like the good news with the bad news. And so, this is kind of bad news. So, allegedly, I think this is reported. I'm not necessarily sure if it's confirmed, but I, I, I'm I, fairly certain that this will happen. Um, not just in this country, but in all countries, eventually. Sorry, if that sounded weird, it's because I just kind of yawned through that word. But anyways, Disney is reportedly going to stop releasing DVDs and Blu-rays in Australia. Yeah, so this report has suggested that the last physical home video release, so again, DVDs, Blu-rays, stuff like that, in Australia uh, for Disney specifically is going to be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I guess that's a good movie to end things on. Um I I actually have a lot of thoughts about that movie. Like I thought it was really um, it was definitely like an emotional roller coaster and I respect like the themes that were looked at it like um animal abuse, um animal testing and like even like eugenics. But I I don't know, like for me it still is an MCU movie. And the pacing was kind of off considering it was kind of like a longer film. Um, also, it's like so formulaic at this point And it's just like the humor. I don't like James Gunn's humor. I feel like I've mentioned this on previous projects before. But anyways, we're not here to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy and my uh, shitty thoughts about the films or volume three, that is. So basically... um. I say basically and specifically a lot like in every single recording uh, whether it be a video or like for this here podcast so you're just gonna have to live with that. Basically Disney is going to stop releasing them in Australia and I just feel like the death of physical media is really really bad. Um, I think we saw it with um something has something with like the french connection they're like editing parts out because they are considered offensive and it's like well i don't necessarily think that the filmmakers were trying to get audiences to agree with what was being shown it was kind of just like a showing to showcase parts or aspects of the character but it, it's weird how we can like it or like censor things when they're on like streaming or on digital and that's why like if you have a physical copy of something they can't they can edit it like pre-release but they can't edit it after it's been released and after you buy it so yeah i don't know i think i think that's one of the reasons why i don't like the death of physical media but also like i feel like it's just good to have something in your hands and like own it and say like yeah this is mine when it's a streaming service you're kind of just like i don't even want to say renting it like it's there but like at a certain point sometimes those things get taken off the streaming service so just being able to say that you have something and it's always with you is another aspect that i think is like really good about physical media and that's not going to exist if if this trend continues I really liked that interview that Matt Damon did. I think it was a Hot Ones episode. And he was talking about how like it, like with something like Goodwill Hunting, the budget was like not very large. It was a drama or like, yeah. And it's still, since the budget was low, it still made a lot of money. And um, it wasn't, it didn't necessarily have to compete with all these like large action or like superhero movies with like IP and shit like that so it did really well and then after not only did it do well but like even if it didn't do well there would they would have a physical release or like you could go rent it at something like blockbuster and that would also bring in huge revenues for the studios and the actors and everyone who worked on that film and it just i just feel like without that physical like physical media revenue a lot of people are going to start making less money <laughs> so I don't know. I just feel like it's a bad decision on all accounts, but, um, let's move on to something more that has to, something more, something else that has to do with money. Oppenheimer has, um, actually reached over $400 million worldwide. Um, but I found this interesting fact and it's actually that it has actually, oh my God, why did I say actually like twice? Anyways, It has outgrossed Mission Impossible, so the latest Mission Impossible movie, uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1, domestically that is, in less than 10 days, which I think it's really, I don't know, I I honestly love the fact that this like three hour long biopic that has a huge budget and also has like a lot of um, practical effects is kind of just like killing the game right now and is just, yeah, making a lot of money. Um, no shade to the Mission Impossible, Impossible, but Impossible franchise because I know that film's really good, and it is being well received. And feel like overall the entire franchise is really good. Um, I think they are some of the best action movies that you know of of the modern era that is. And so with something like Oppenheimer making this much money, I think it's really cool. Um, again, it is like a Christopher Nolan film, so I don't. It's not that I expected it to do bad, but like. I'm just really glad that it hit the 400 million mark um, because a lot of, yeah, a lot of people in the industry said that in order for it to be profitable, it had to make 400 million. And I feel like it's it's been out for less than two weeks and it's already hit that number. So it's only going to make more money. And I don't know. I, I just think it's, I think this is a really good thing. Um, not the fact that it outgrossed the Mission Impossible film, but the fact that it is making so much money is definitely a good thing. And I guess, I guess some more good news. I'll talk about Barbie, obviously, because, you know, those films are so similar. Um, but I, I know that it it's almost, I think the last time I checked the box office numbers for it, it was just under 800 million. And again, it's only a bit out for, yeah, like, less than two weeks, which is insane. And I know so many people are actually going to watch both Oppenheimer and Barbie like more than once because of how much they love these films. Like I plan to do that for sure. And so um, what I want to say about Barbie is that it actually just joined the Letterboxd One Million Watch Club. So if you don't know what Letterboxd is, um, I feel like this podcast really is for people who don't necessarily know a lot about film. Like I want to like help people like learn and Yeah, Uh, so if you don't know what Letterboxd is, um, it's basically a, I guess we could call it a social media site where you just keep track of the movies you watch, you can rate them, you can log them, you can follow other people, you can add them to lists, you can make a watch list. Like I almost have like 700 movies on my watch list just because there's so much good shit that I haven't seen yet. But anyways, um, the One Million Watch Club basically means that a million people have logged the film or have watched the film. And again, Barbie has been out for less than two weeks and it already reached the one million watch club. I'm pretty sure it was the fastest movie to achieve this in 11 days. Uh, And I understand that it is a new film. Letterboxd is a relatively new app. So obviously movies from like, I don't know, the 70s or the 80s, those aren't going to be, you know, the most watched movies. But And obviously, like, Letterboxd gained a lot of popularity in recent years. But, I mean, I think think it's still impressive, like, just seeing how many people have actually, like, shown up for this film. And, yeah, 11 days to reach that 1 million watched is actually, it's insane. And, I don't know, I think the movie has such a good rewatch value. Like, it's fun, it's emotional, like, yeah, yeah, like, what more do you want, really? But, again, we're here to balance good and bad. Um, but I'm saying, um, a lot because I'm trying to, like, take it in. So, basically, Mattel, um, you know, they are responsible for Barbie. Um, they are actually adapting a bunch of games and shows into live action films because of the the success of Barbie. A lot of people have been, um, (laughs) a lot of people have been, like, posting or I should say tweeting photos of, like, Robert J. Oppenheimer and they're, like, um... the the caption or their tweet is something like Greta Gerwig in 10 years, just because, like, the success of Barbie is really, like, catapulting this into reality now that they are going to make live-action adaptations. So, I know that the the Polly Pocket film has, yeah, has has really, what, what am I trying to say? Yeah, so the Polly Pocket film um, it is going to star Lily Collins as the titular character. But what's funny about this is that it has been a thing for, like, a couple years. Like, I feel like I've heard about it um, a little while ago. But, uh, yeah, it, it's officially going ahead. Like, Lena Dunham is attached to direct. I I don't know. Anyways, uh, some other movies. Uh, so, I know the Barney movie has actually been, like... I, I know Daniel Kaluuya is actually, like... Yeah, like... It has been a thing as well, but some other movies include Uno, Matchbox, Hot Wheels, Magic 8-Ball, which I think that one can be really, really cool, Um, Viewmaster, American Girl, Major Matt Mason, which I have no idea what the fuck that is, Masters of the Universe, Thomas the Tank Engine, and Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Listen, I think a lot of these could be really cool if you get, like, really, really cool directors to... I guess, handled the vision. But the thing is, like, I mentioned this last week, the only reason Barbie worked is because, because, like, Gerwig knew what she was doing and the script with Noah Bombeck, like, actually, actually had a vision and, like, actually wanted to see something come out of this and not just, like, make money. And now Mattel is, like, of course they, like, learned the wrong lesson from the success of Barbie. Like, that was bound to happen. They're, like, a multi-billion dollar company, obviously, like, that was bound to happen, but I don't know, like, uh I just, I, I know that, like, Greta really, really wanted to make a Barbie movie for years, so that's totally, like, on a different, that's totally different, but what I fear that is going to happen here is, like, like, very, like, capable, interesting directors are now going to be attached to these, even though they don't want to, I, I don't know, like, the IP of it all really, really bugs me because I feel like it's just taking up space for, like, it's just taking up too much space and then there's, like, no space for other things that aren't attached to IP and don't have, again, this, like, brand recognition or the financing or the budget, um, or again, like, the marketing, uh, budget and it just, again, it, like, takes up too much space and there has to be space for other things as well, so that's kind of, like, where I'm at with this news, um, Everything, everything is just like either like a sequel, a reboot, a franchise connected to IP, um, an adaptation. It's like where, like, what happened to being, what happened to being writers, you know? Um, but anyways, let's move on. So, yeah, so regarding the strike that, that is, of course, still, um, happening and, um, all solidarity with the, writers and the actors um and of course because of the strike a lot of yeah like like a lot of movies are being pushed just just i guess from like yeah like from the standpoint of you know marketing it's going to be hard to market it if the stars of the film can't talk about it on social media uh there's not a lot of like yeah there's like not a lot of like tv um TV marketing going on right now regarding like shows not being on air um like talk shows that is and so some movies that have been delayed uh because of this include the uh sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife which I don't know why they're doing a sequel because like does anyone really care but anyways has been delayed from December 20th of this year to March 29th of next year and also um Craven the Hunter, which I actually didn't know was supposed to come out this year. Or at least maybe I did, I just forgot, but it was supposed to be out on October 6th. It got moved to next year, August 30th, which is really, really big. Yeah, it's like a really big uh jump. But anyways, Craven the Hunter, I like why are you making a movie about Craven? Anyways, I hope it's good, but like of all the Spider-Man villains, Craven? I don't anyways uh sure i again like i see this all the time but like we're literally in hell like i don't i don't know but anyways um let's support original movies how about that anyways um this movie is actually one that i'm really really excited about so jeff nichols um the bike riders starring austin butler jodie comer tom hardy and mike faced it's actually going to be released in theaters this December first. Um, so yeah, we got confirmation regarding the uh, release date. This is an in- this is a really stacked cast. Um, I really like Jeff Nichols' like um, films. They are like l- like slow, and you really have to like sit with them. Um, but they're really beautiful. And like for example, like Take Shelter. Um, I feel like Take Shelter might have been the first. Nichols film that I watched I'm not exactly sure about that but really really great film like just the acting is incredible in it um Michael Shannon and Jessica Chastain working together is always really good but like in this movie they're just really really great um Loving also that's another one of his films um he gets really great performances out of his actors and so I'm really excited to see what this cast brings to like a a film from him and yeah so we got confirmation that it's going to be released this december 1st yeah let's move on to a new film so alberto barbara he is i hope i'm pronouncing that right i probably i'm probably not but um he is the uh director of the venice film festival and, yeah, so he was speaking recently about some of the films and he mentioned something about Priscilla, which is the upcoming Sofia Coppola film based on, you know, the life of Priscilla Presley. And what's cool is he actually straight up said that it's like the opposite of Baz Luhrmann's Elvis film, um, which I guess makes sense. Um I'll read a quote that he he said about the film. So, he said, It's another point of view. Sophia wants to tell the real story of Priscilla. Priscilla herself isn't happy with it. I'm not sure the rest of the family are. Which, that was a gag, like, honestly. So, basically, yeah. I mean, I feel like everyone knew. Like, I've spoken about the discourse, actually, about this with Juan. Like, we spoke about the discourse. Like, how it's going to have really, really bad discourse surrounding it. And people are going to talk about, like, Oh, um... She was whatever when he was whatever years old when they met, and it's like I don't think Sofia Coppola is going to glorify that in any way. Like I think she's just, I, I think she's just showing what actually happened. And again, I feel like there have been other, like, um, other like news items regarding the family, like not being a fan of it. And so I feel like there are. It's gonna. It's definitely gonna be very nuanced. Like again. I I think a lot of people know that the relationship wasn't the healthiest. I think, like, Priscilla herself knows that. But, again, that was still her husband. Um, she obviously still did really love him. And, yeah, I think it's just going to go more in-depth into who she is and not necessarily focus on Elvis. Like, that's obviously what the Baz Luhrmann film did for... I mean, yeah, like, it was his movie. Um, did it omit a lot? Yeah, of course it did. And maybe those things shouldn't have been omitted, but... I think it's really cool that we're going to get this perspective from a filmmaker. And I mean, I feel like there, it it is going to be, there's going to be a lot to, you know, like take in with this. Um, And yeah, I, it's, it's definitely like, I'm really, really excited for it. I know a lot of people have like issues with like Coppola's pacing. Um, and I feel like this is also going to be one of those films that they're not going to enjoy um, just because it's definitely going to take place over, I'm pretty sure it's taking place over like a couple of years. It's based on a book, right? So that might be something that they have issue with. But anyways, um, yeah. Uh, Priscilla. <laughs> um, and I think, oh wait, this actually, this may be a short, this may be a little shorter, um, but uh, this is the last like piece of news they have. Um, so The Iron Claw, this is, uh, a film produced by A24, and it is based on the Von Erich family. Um, this is just kind of like a dynasty of wrestlers, and it's starring a really, really great cast. So, Zach Efron's in it, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, and Holt McCulney. um, and also... We, uh Lily James is also in it, uh, but we got a first look for the film. So it was of uh, Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, Harris, Harris Dickinson, and uh, Holt McColney. And yeah, so they're playing the um, family of wrestlers. And it's also going to be coming out this December. So de- December 22nd, um, to be more specific. I've spoken about like releasing films around Christmas. Like I don't necessarily even know if that's like a good thing, but especially when it's like sorry, I was yawning. Especially when it's like something like of like the smaller like I don't wanna call it indie. Like A twenty four doesn't produce any films. Like I'm sorry. They don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, like we got a first look for it. The haircuts, I don't know if it's wigs or not, but like I'm pretty sure it's just hair styling, but like the wigs or the hair is, herring is wigging. But, anyways, yeah, we got a first look. Um, I, it is biographical, so, you know, I'm, again, I've, I always mention this, but I am iffy with those kinds of films, but whatever. Um, I'm excited to see what's up with the film. I am going to do, this is kind of like the part of the, the, um, yeah, I think I just glitched, but, anyways, um, yeah, I'm gonna talk about. This is the part of the podcast where we discuss a film um, or a TV show. Something about it. It could be the entire thing itself. Um, yeah, we could focus on a specific element. It could be something we hate. It could be something we love. It could be something we watched recently. It doesn't necessarily matter. Um, but I actually want to talk about Asteroid City, which is uh Wes Anderson's newest film. I want to focus on Adam Stockhausen's production design because... I kept turning to my friend when we were watching the film a couple of weeks ago uh, when it was in theaters and I kept turning to her and I was like, this is such a cool looking film, to put it simply. And yeah, I mean, he, he works with Wes a lot. So he did Grand Budapest. He actually worked on Isle of Dogs, Island of Dogs. I say aisle, I don't, yeah, whatever, but anyways, um, yeah, he is a production designer, he's responsible for a lot of really, really cool films, he actually worked on the latest Indiana Jones film as well, which, I mean, even if the film is bad, I'm sure the production design is considered good, <laughs> Um, so yeah, he he works with Wes a lot, and what I really, really love about Asteroid City, I loved a lot of it, I, I loved I love like the the narr- um, I don't want to spoil it but anyway I whatever like the the narrative of the play um and then like the real actors and like interacting or like whatever it was just really really good I loved that aspect of it what I will say is like my favorite thing about it is the production design and I feel like I've been thinking about production design a lot because I always mention production design as my favorite element of film like, honestly, like, I probably should have gotten into production design, um, but there's still time, I could still do it, but, yeah, like, it, it, I, I feel like I'm talking about it a lot more is because I realize that a lot of my letterbox reviews, I'm talking about production design a lot, um, even though I don't necessarily know a lot about the craft, like, it's just something that I really, really, I, I really, really love, and, um, it's, yeah, just, like, something that stands out for me in film, and I think, barbie like i watched it recently um as did everyone and their mother literally like not even a joke um it reminded me that production design is really an art and is really really good when studios allow production designers to be exactly that production designers so i feel like with with my review on letterbox which i need to change my username now that we can change it Um, I need to change it. Um, I I feel like I mentioned something about, like, how everything nowadays that could be made with, you know, like, someone's hands and can be, like, made practically is always made using CGI. And I think that really, like, takes a lot away, um, from the the viewing experience. And it doesn't feel tangible. It feels fake. It feels flat. And then when you put something like Barbie on display and you put that predict, pr- pr- production on, like, a real set, a real set where the actors can, like, actually feel around, you know, like, there's just something really magical about that. And so I was thinking about pro- pro- production design a lot, and then I started thinking of, like, Adam Stockhausen and how, like, yeah, his, his like, production design on Asteroid City kind of just, like, blew me away. The desert setting of it all, um, the little, like, kind of, like, I guess we could call it like a mobile diner, uh, just like, you know, those like long um, diners with like the retro like benches and stuff like that. Yeah, just like the setting of uh, the little motel rooms, um, everything. It just fit really well with the aesthetic and the era of that the film was supposed to take place in or the play, whatever you want to call it. And, and I was looking, I actually didn't know that Adam Stockhausen worked as the production designer for West Side Story. But I do remember in March 2022, on March 4th, I watched West Side Story and my review reads, this is the first line of my review. It's a very short review, but I'll just read the first line. It says, production design went crazy and crazy is in caps. And there's like a bunch of exclamation points after it. And so, yeah, I just feel like I had something for production design for a really, really long time. I had no idea that Adam worked on it. And so, I just wanted to shout him out and shout out, uh, yeah, like, West Side Story, great. Like, I love the production design in that film. But, like, his production design Asteroid City is, like, on another level. And it's just really, really cool when we can get actors, you know, acting alongside real things. And not just, like, CGI screens or, like, blue screen or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, Asteroid City, what a film. Um, It's definitely, like, top three West for me. Maybe, mm, maybe top four no. I'll say top, I'll say top 3. Yeah, we'll go with top 3. Anyways, so this is the also this is like the ending of the of the um, episode. Uh maybe this was a shorter episode. Mm, I guess. I guess we'll keep it short uh, for this week. But I will say what whoa, what I will say is that um there is a new film in theaters. Again, I'm not telling you to go watch it. I'm just saying that it's in theaters. Um, And I wanted to have a little fun with this. So, there's a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film in theaters. Uh, It is a Paramount production. And yeah, so it's called Mutant Mayhem. It's in theaters this week. Um, Technically, it's out today. Um, It's directed by Jeff Rowe, who co-directed and wrote one of my favorite animated films, The Mitchells vs. the Machines. I've mentioned this before. Animated films are not necessarily my favorite thing. But that is like a really, really well done and well crafted animated films like the writing is really really good but i just love the animation style itself um yeah so he co-directed that and he wrote it so i'm actually pretty excited for this new teenage mutant ninja turtles um film again i understand ip of it all it's a franchise whatever but um if it's well crafted i it's getting good reviews so you know yeah um it's from a screenplay he wrote with a bunch of really really cool funny people so he co-wrote it with seth rogan evan goldberg dan hernandez and benji semit so i i don't think i've actually told anyone that no 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 i've mentioned in previous projects but superbad is like one of the reasons why i like really really love film i haven't watched it in a really long time and it's due for a rewatch but that screenplay like made me realize like oh You can write about just people being, like, dumb and, like, living their life. And, um, (laughs) I, yeah, it was, like, one of the films that I watched pretty young and it made me realize, like, oh, this, like, writing thing is really cool. Um, and, you know, like, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg wrote that. And, yeah, I, it's just, like, a really good script and I really, really love it. Um, and so knowing that they're a part of this project is also really exciting for me, um, and yeah, so the film, um, it, it, I think it might be an origin story. Technically, I think it is. But the, the, the turtles themselves, they just want to be, oh, I think my voice just got really deep there for a second. Anyways, so the turtles just want to be accepted as normal teenagers. Um, and so, yeah, they try to um, be accepted by being heroes. And they go on a hunt for a crime syndicate. But, of course, it's called Mutant Mayhem. So, a bunch of mutants are unleashed upon them. All I'm going to say is that I.O. Debris is in it. And I'm pretty sure she's playing April. Um, we need to validate her career. And, um, yeah, knowing she's, like, in it is so cool. I-, I can't remember. I really wish I had this tweet. I feel like I might have mentioned it on this pod before. But it's, like, I.O. Debris has, like, 27 hours in a day. She has, like... She has ten days in a week. She is literally always working. she's always booked and busy, and I really love that for her. Um so yeah, she's in it, she's always acting in it. um it's, I feel like there's i I've for sure mentioned this like new generation of like comedic actresses, but it's like if there's like Rachel Senate in something or Iowa debris, I'm like i'm I'm gonna watch it. So again, it's in theaters. Um, I can't tell you to go watch it, but I, if you want to, sure. I just wanted to mention it, mention what it's about, mention who's involved in it. Cause I do think this is really good. Like it's a really cool project when you just look at like who's involved in it, like whether it be the voice actors or the writers or the director, like this, this feels like a really yeah, there's a lot of like comedic talents within it. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, so again, we got a lot of great news, um, a lot of not so good news, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) I'm just, I, I love, I love film and TV. And so I am doing this podcast because I like talking about them. And, um, again, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Vanessa on films, pretty simple enough to remember. Um, you can subscribe or follow this wherever you listen to podcasts, um, send an episode to a friend. Uh, I think my phone might be ringing, so I might need to go. But anyways, um, yeah, I should have my letterbox username changed by the end of the week. It- it'll most likely be Vanessa on films. Um, so yeah, um, thanks for listening, and I really appreciate everyone who has been listening to this. I know it's not many people, but it's still really cool. And so, um, here's to this podcast, and here's to film and television. All right, bye.